We have been looking for the last two weeks and today, the final part in our series, at the simple idea of prayer, uh, a topic that we've positioned at the beginning of our year to reflect the importance it holds in Christian living. Prayer is um, uh, an activity that shapes our spirituality, but is also a defining act, activity for a Christian community. We could be uh, all sorts of communities might meet together and have friendship and activities, but prayer signifies and symbolizes that we are actively following Christ, that Christ and the living God is the heart and at the center of our community and the focus of what we want to do. Prayer, therefore, is important. Uh, prayer is something that we all uh, probably believe in but find hard. Prayer is something that we all recognize the value of, but it's a challenge to have in our lives. And so these three weeks have been uh, conversations and, and just simple thoughts, really, about how can we make sure that we are engaging with prayer. If in any shape or form we look ahead in the year to come as a family called G2 and want to do more, then we should invest in prayer in order to see that. And to not put prayer first would be in effect to say that we have great plans that we want to attempt without much help from God. That would be the wrong way around. Let's put prayer first. And I hope that phrase, prayer first, sticks in our vocabulary for this year ahead. Uh, prayer is important because Bon Jovi said, we are living on a prayer. Okay? That is a powerful theological truth from wise people. In this series, we looked uh, first at the importance of praying before doing. We should pray before we do. And our shining example of that is Jesus Christ, who before he began his earthly ministry, retreated to pray for 40 days. And before he did uh, important things in, in his, the rest of his ministry, he took time aside to pray. Maybe for us even that means simply that before we have any of our meetings, we should pray at the beginning. Rather than tag it on at the end, maybe it gets squeezed out before time. Whenever we are planning or preparing anything, let's uh, begin and initiate with prayer first and invite God into those things. Maybe you can figure out how that applies to other things you're doing. Putting prayer before we do. Last week we looked at the importance of prayer for others. That the scripture places a priority on the duty of those that follow Christ to pray first for others. This is not the natural spirituality of our society. Uh, society is actually fairly well engaged with the idea of prayer, but sees it primarily as a personal and private activity. And, and it is that, but our Bible charges us to see prayer as one of those things that we do as Christian people as part of the role that God has given us in society. And we are also urged to pray for those who are leaders. That might be the Queen or the Prime Minister. It might be the person that runs the, the club that you go to during the week. It might be uh, local business leaders, leaders in the council. It might be your annoying boss at work. 
it, whoever, whoever maybe fits with that, the shapers and definers of our community and our society, both big and small, God says we should pray for them. Because ultimately, all of society and all of its workings is in the hands of God. And we want more of God's kingdom in our society. So we don't see ourselves as a, as a group that has withdrawn from society and placed the barricades to just try and follow Jesus. But we are an integrated faith group. It's called church. And church prays for society and specific people in society because we believe that God is at work in everyone's lives and in our lives collective. And to pray for society at large enlarges our vision of prayer. When we just pray for ourselves, we often pray small. When you start praying for a country, uh, a world uh, event or situation, or uh, a leader, uh, our prayer is uh, enlarged and expanded. Our vision and our boldness of prayer is lifted up. Today I want to focus on just a few words, and, and uh, I will read them to you in a second, from 1 Thessalonians 5:17, which says simply this, prayer, pray without ceasing. Just three words, pray without ceasing. And so our focus today is on praying first, the priority of prayer, that prayer is something that we should do without ceasing. Those three words written in 1 Thessalonians by the Apostle Paul have had an incredible impact on the history of the culture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Disproportionate to those number of words in comparison to the thousands of words contained in Scripture, those words have captivated the imagination of those great adventurers that have gone before us who have wanted to, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It's led some to give up life as, as society knows it to live a different kind of life so that they can devote the maximum amount of pr time um, to pray. It, it's inspired some of what we know as the monastic movements that have also been the evangelistic movements of church history. Monastic movements fundamentally um, as communities that gather to place a focus on prayer. It's been um, the uh, focus of the Christian mystics those who uh, withdrew in order to discover and understand more of who God was and what it meant to follow him. Um, and also, it is something of a paradox. Clearly, it is literally impossible to pray without ceasing. Yet those words are sort of set before us as an inspiring vision and something that we are to engage with. Well, in each of these talks, we've looked at a great saint and, and heard some of their advice on prayer. And I want us today to hear from uh, a man called Augustine. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, also called Saint Augustine, sometimes called Saint Austin. He was a 4th and 5th century early theologian, uh, a bishop and a philosopher. And a snappy dresser, uh, as you can see in the corner. And although he didn't become a Christian until he was 33 years old, he is one of the strongest and most defining voices about 
Christian culture, both in the West and the East. Uh, a lot of, if you study any theology, what you find is very quickly it goes back to things that Augustine of Hippo said. Um, he is a fascinating man. His conversion um, happened because uh, when he and a few mates decided they would go out, have a night out, so they decided to go out and hang out with a Christian mystic. Heard them already. People who drew from society, lived in caves or remote places in order to seek and discover God. So back in the day, like that's what wild kids used to do to, you know, have a cool night out. Hey guys, should we go and see a Christian mystic? Woo, off we go. So they go and found this Christian mystic, and they're chatting to a Christian mystic. And he wrote in his diary that while he was there, he he heard the words said to him by God, take and read. And he understood that the, the voice of God was speaking to him about reading the Bible. So he picked up the Bible and felt drawn to read uh, the book of Romans and he read the book of Romans in the New Testament and the, of the Bible and, and that was his conversion experience. And he went from a, a completely non-follower of Jesus to being one of the most influential voices um, in Christian history. Random facts, okay? Random facts about this guy. I'll give you some random facts about the other one. Random facts about this guy. He is the patron saint of beer. Okay? The next time you raise a glass, Augustine, your patron saint, is watching over you and your beer. And actually, if you go to, the, if you go to continental Europe, uh, you'll find a lot of beers are, are named after Augustine or Hippo or some, some permutation um, of those words. Augustine wrote um, a letter once to a lady called Proba. Uh, and Proba was uh, a noble woman who'd been widowed, and she wrote to him as, as, as the Christian advisor to receive advice on prayer. And let me tell you what she said he should do. He, he gave her four rules of prayer. This was his advice about prayer. His first rule was this. In order to pray, first, you must love God. He said, prayer, prayer doesn't work for the person who doesn't love God and simply sort of comes to God in order to get something they need, but outside of loving God. Prayer, he said, begins with a heart attitude that says, God, I love you and I wish to know you more and to have more of you in my life. He wrote at length about that, how in a sense a Christian must in a way be ruined to what life and society has to offer in order to be devout and devoted to God. That idea that you can't love one master and not the other. You love one and hate the other. You must in, your sen you must in that sense settle in your heart that it's God that you want more of in your life. Before you pray, that's the thing that you should do. His second rule was this, that you should pray for a happy life. I absolutely love that he said this. This was his like, if you ever trying to figure out what you should pray for, you should just pray that you have a happy <coughs> life. Now bear in mind, he's already said that your, your first thing, the first question should be you should decide... Do I love God? Is it God that I love and I want more of? But once you've settled that in your heart, he says, then you should pray like all pagans do 
that they have a happy life, except your prayer then will be focused on having more of God in your life. But pray it in that way. Pray that you should have a happy life, and a happy life is a life that has more of God in it. His third rule was this, that you should study, study and pray the Lord's Prayer. And in fact, I think one, one of the reasons that the Lord's Prayer features so strongly in traditional church circles is the weight that Augustine put on it in his advice on how to pray. He said, if your prayer cannot be found in the outline of the Lord's Prayer, perhaps it's something you shouldn't bother praying. He also said, you should, you should use the Lord's Prayer, either something you say or as a framework to pray, because it, it will remind you how to pray. You will inevitably come to pray with the thing in mind that you want. But by, if you use the Lord's Prayer, you'll be reminded of those things that you have forgotten, but that you ought to pray. Perhaps you realise, gosh, I need to uh, confess a sin and say sorry to God. Maybe I need to forgive somebody. Maybe I need to express um, my dependence and need upon God. Maybe I need to pray for God's kingdom to come, not just for the thing I want, but I should pray for all those things that God wants. The Lord's Prayer, he says, is the single biggest statement that God has given us on how to pray. Simply repeat the words and make that your prayer. Or use it as a, a framework like the early church did, that we think they probably used the Lord's Prayer as like bullet points, and, and they would pray for an hour, taking each thing as a line. They would pray for that. Our Father in heaven, so they'd spend a few minutes on that. Holy is your name. They would spend a few minutes on that. And he said, no, no, one, no one needs to carry a prayer book in their pockets or a, a great instruction on theology. All a Christian needs to do in order to pray with great confidence is to know the words of the Lord's Prayer and it will be your faithful guide. And his last rule was this. Um, tribulations are hard. He said quite simply this. Nobody ever knows how to pray when things are hard. Everyone has an idea of how to pray when things are hard. But he says, take heart. When life is hard and you're going through difficult times, you will pray the best you can, but nobody knows fully how to pray. Just pray your best uh, that God gets you through the situation. You will need wisdom. Is, is the situation one you should embrace because it's teaching you character and grace? Or is it something you should reject because it's the enemy attacking you? He says, nobody ever truly knows because these situations are hard. But nevertheless, pray, commit your way to God, and he will guide you through. So Augustine, patron saint of beer, wants to teach you how to pray. Well, let's go back to this idea of praying without ceasing. And I want to make just two points, and then we're going to do a little exercise on our table um, as, as we take this up. And the first idea of praying without ceasing is this, that prayer is something that we should do continuously. We should pray, but not stop praying. So often we see prayer as a, a last resort rather than a first resort. Prayer is the thing that we do in an emergency. If things are really bad, then perhaps we should pray about it. And if we, if we have that view, then prayer will always be partitioned and segregated in our lives. What if somebody said to you, breathe, 
whenever you need to. Okay? You would see the paradox in that. Well, I, I need to breathe continuously. It just needs to be something that's so natural and normal to how I act that actually I'm just constantly doing it. And if I ever sort of stop breathing, I will notice the negative benefits quickly. Breathing is something I need to do in order to sustain my life. Prayer is something that I need to do continuously in order to sustain my Christian life. I don't know if we've got a range of ages here. Um, people who are as old as me remember something called dial-up. Does anyone here remember dial-up? Okay, all like three of us. Uh, in fact, now dial-up, you know, came in generations as well. So um, I remember the original dial-up where you had a telephone and then you had this thing with two rubber circles and you'd dial the phone number like manually with this thing that went round and then went back. Took forever, especially if you got a wrong number. And then, and then you'd listen and the computer would be talking to you in beeps and then you'd plug it, the handset, into the rubber things and then your computer could talk to the internet. Wow. And then, of course, dial-up was really annoying because um, no one else could use the phone. So if you had dial-up, you had to like, be quick. I'm just, I'm just quickly using the internet, quickly sending an email, and then you disconnect. Um, contrast that with the idea of broadband. Like, probably many of us have got phones with continuously on internet connection. That's the difference in the idea of what it, what it means to think about prayer in one way as something that we do uh, rarely, scarcely, and occasionally or prayer that's something that's always connected, always available, and always on. I remember my first job working in an office, and we used email because we were a really up-to-date church, and we connected to the internet twice a day. And I, I remember on occasions when things were really busy, and I would go around the office and say, guys, 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 um, there's a lot of emails, I'm, I'm just going to do a quick connection at lunchtime, uh, to connect to the internet so that all our emails can go and you might get some emails in earlier than you're expecting because we're going to have an additional time to connect to the internet. That's one way of thinking about prayer, a rare and scarce thing that we do. Or prayer is like an always-on connection. Prayer can be like an addiction. If you've ever known someone with an addiction, they can't help but engage with the thing that they are addicted to. Someone who's an alcoholic is always thinking about where their next drink is. You, they don't need to write themselves a note or set a reminder or an alarm to say, have a drink. It's so much part of who they are that they just know where their next fix will come from. Prayer without ceasing is the idea that we have an addiction to prayer so that it becomes so normal that it's something that we turn to regularly and often in order to seek God. And this is what the early mystics and the monastic people and those communities that withdrew sought to live out. For some of them, the way it looked like is they would have a plan of work and then maybe six or even eight times in the day they would gather just for very short times just to pray. And they would pray maybe in the morning, thanksgiving for the day ahead. In the evening it would be, you know, to commit what they'd done to God. Maybe um, 
uh, before they began their work, that God would you know, bless them in their work and they could dedicate it to God in the, in the midday, that God would sustain them and keep them going. They would have this pattern and framework of prayer that was peppered, that sort of guided them through their activity of the day. I think we need to rethink our engagement with prayer. I think many of us fall because deep down we feel that prayer will only count if we, if we engage with God for hours and hours and hours. And if we therefore don't do that, it's actually, then it's somehow second rate and then therefore not worth doing. We're encouraged to pray without ceasing. That is to, to pray and then to keep the line open. And maybe it's like a conversation with a friend that's always at your side. You can, you can always speak and that person's always there. You can always listen because they're always next to you. And the second idea of prayer without ceasing is the idea that we should not give up. Is the, is the opposite of pray and forget. This is pray and remember. Pray and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Um, in 1941, Winston Churchill returned to his old school, Harrow, and he gave um, a speech. It's not the short speech that sometimes it's reported as, but at the end of this speech that he gave, he said to the boys, boys, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And sat down. And he's the guy that had won the war, so kind of like, that was good advice from him that you should never give up. And we often easily give up on prayer. We often easily set really low expectations of prayer, a low expectation that God might do something. Or, or, or we don't follow those parables that Jesus taught where he, he described praying as like somebody who just knocks on a friend's door until it's so annoying that the friend says, enough, I will give you what you need. That's the way that Jesus talks about prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Moravian community in the 18th century um, in continental Europe. And the Moravians were a religious community that um, peppered their working life um, with prayer. They were divided into different groups that did different types of work, and these groups would gather to pray. And in 1727, their youth group started a prayer for one of their members who was sick. And they said, let's pray through the night. So they prayed through the night. And then some of them went to work. And some of them said, let's not give up praying. Let's keep going. So they prayed through the day. And then some swapped out and some swapped in. And they prayed through the next day. And they prayed through the whole week. And then they prayed through the whole month. And they prayed through the whole year. And some of you will know this story because that prayer meeting of continuous and unbroken prayer continued for just over a hundred years. Can you imagine a youth group starting a prayer meeting of continuous unbroken prayer that continued until well after they were all dead? So powerful was the heart of not giving up on prayer. And that prayer meeting produced phenomenal missionary endeavours. Many of the youth um, literally gave themselves to God's service. They would pray around the world for unreached people groups and they, they tried to figure out which, who, who has not been reached by the message of Jesus. And one group was slaves. So they figured out 
the, how do you reach slaves? You have to be one of their community. So some of them sold themselves into slavery in order to become slaves so that they could be missionaries to slaves. That prayer meeting sent out hundreds and hundreds of, of missionaries um, to do God's work. They need to pray and not give up. Okay, a simple thought and prayer. Praying and not giving up. We're going to do something together at our tables. And Gavin Frey have provided some beautiful little notebooks that also become um, an envelope. Why don't you grab one of those? And what you need to think about now is what is your never give up prayer? Maybe it's something you're praying right now. Maybe it's something you're going to decide to pray. Maybe it's for you or someone you know. Maybe it's for a leader or a president. Maybe it's for a world situation that's happening now. What's going to happen is you're going to write that down and it will be a note to self. It's a note, it's from you to you to say, this is my never give up prayer. And then you're going to seal it, write your name on it, write your address on it, and we will collect it in. And six months later, we will post it back to you. Let's enlarge our vision of prayer. What's your big and bold prayer? What's your never give up prayer? What's your pray prayer and don't stop praying prayer? Either for yourself, for someone else, or for a situation. So we're just going to take a few minutes. There'll be some music on. Write that down. When, you, when you're happy with it, it's, you're the only one that's ever going to see it. Seal it up. Write your name on. Write your address on. And leave it on the table. It will come back to you as a reminder in six months. Maybe you want to make a note to yourself. This is what I'm going to be praying as well. Because in six months, the reminder will come back to you.